And so what I wanted to, to do this morning, this is our last Sunday before we get into uh, Lent. And uh, so I wanted to just look at the majesty and the magnificence of this God as we move into this year with putting other things aside and just focusing for a few weeks on who it is that has given us new life. Who is this that provides for everything we need? Who is this that gives us eternal life? And uh, just these reminders for a few weeks. And then during the, the weeks of what they call, I mean, Lent, which we're, some of us aren't too familiar with, I guess. But um, during the weeks, the several weeks, six weeks of, of Lent, I want us to look each Sunday at one one of the aspects of Jesus' attitude toward what he was sent on, that we could also emulate that. So each week we'll look at one, one part of the, the decisions that Jesus had made and that would, we would make them ours. So that's what we're going to go from next Sunday on through uh, Easter Sunday. So let's look at today's, today's message. I'm calling it Patient Omnipotent Creator. And, you know, we think of someone all-powerful in the human sense. They're not usually patient. It's my way or, you know, or the highway, kind of. And But he is a patient, omnipotent creator. Let me read this paragraph, and then we'll get into Psalm 98 this morning. Maybe one of the most spectacular aspects of God's holiness, his total otherness, is that he interacts with us in such vast extremes. At once, the God of the angel armies, as Eugene Peterson described him, or as a doting mother hen devotedly protecting her chicks under her wings from a storm. At once, the one in gleaming snow white with eyes of fire and a sword protruding out of his mouth, or the one tenderly and compassionately raising a widow's son to life from his funeral byre. It is his sovereignty seen in his liberty to come to us as he will. One God, infinite deliveries. One savior and lover of our souls, limitless means of intimacy. And, and these, this contrast, I think, is what makes it so difficult when someone says, you know, in, in my church background as a child, one of the things was, giving the testimony of your conversion. And I think one that makes it difficult is that God comes to us all differently. Yes. In different times, in different ways. I remember being shocked when we were in France and a friend of ours said, was talking about someone and said, she's in the process of being saved. And I was a little shocked. I've never heard anyone say that. They're in the process of being saved. And I thought, well, that, that's just not theologically correct. You're not in the process. You either are or you aren't. And I've grown up since then, and I realized, yes, uh, there are many ways that God comes to us and shows us his love, shows us his sovereignty. Sometimes it takes years and years and years, and we finally get it. And we finally wake up one day and realize, oh, it is all true. What do you know? And um, then, But there are others who are instantly transformed, turned inside out with this sudden reality that God is who he says he is. And so we don't know why he chooses, how he comes to us, and what our relationship is initially built on. But I think it's his sovereignty. He can come as he wants to. 
And, you know, as, as we've been talking about this student revival that's going on, it's like he didn't need anybody's invitation other than prayer, and he just shows up. And it's not very, it's not very tidy looking. They're kind of all over the place, and, you know, nobody's dressed up. There are no ties in the whole place. And, you know, so it's not what you look for necessarily in something that we would call a revival, but God is doing a work in hearts and he probably doesn't really care too much about what it looks like on the outside. And so he's a patient, omnipotent creator. And so I want us to look into Psalm 98 this morning. This is one of these prayers of David. And the language is just almost over the top. And I'm reading out of the Passion Translation. Let me read it and then we'll kind of look at little sections here before we go back to wanting to pray again. So Psalm 98, go ahead, sing your brand new song to the Lord. He is famous for his miracles and marvels, for he is victorious through his mighty power and holy strength. Everyone knows how God saved us, for he has displayed his justice throughout history. He never forgets to show us his love and faithfulness, how kind he has been to Israel. All the nations know how he stands behind his people and how he saves his own. So go ahead, everyone, and shout out your praises with joy. Break out of the box and let loose with the most joyous sound of praise. Sing your melody of praise to the Lord and make music like never before. Blow those trumpets and shofars. Shout with joyous triumph before King Yahweh. Let the ocean's waves join in the chorus with their roaring praise until everyone everywhere shouts out in unison, glory to the Lord. Let the rivers and streams clap with applause as the mountains rise in a standing ovation to join the mighty choir of exaltation. Look, here he comes, the Lord and judge of all the earth. He's coming to make things right and to do it fair and square. And everyone will see that he does all things well. Mm. Do you think David was excited? Yeah. <laughs> Do you think David had some insider knowledge about who this God mm. is? You know, David came from kind of a remote family, and you know, and he was the youngest, a whole bunch of brothers ahead of him, but he was the youngest, and he was the one sent out to guard the sheep because. Well, that's what the little kid does, just send him off to take care of the sheep. But it was actually during that time where he might have thought, you know, man, this is a terrible assignment. Who wants to be out here spending all night in the fields watching these sheep and trying to keep the animals away from them? And it's like, woe is me. You know, it's like, oh, man, I, it's cold out here. I don't want to be out here. And, you know, these sheep don't listen to me and they do their own thing. And. You know, but it's there that he had all these encounters with God. It was hard, and it was cold, and it was painful and embarrassing because he was, you know, you're the youngest, so you don't count for much, so go out there in the field and take care of the sheep. And amazingly, it's during that time that he had so many encounters with this God who helped him and strengthened him. And it's there that he learned in his solitude he learned to sing, and he learned to compose songs and, and melodies that he would sing to the Lord, and, and in the quiet, and maybe some of the 
depressing, sad, forever times, that's when he learned to pray. And apparently, that's also where God enjoyed meeting with David and beginning to teach him and teach him because he was being prepared for so much more. Started out as the lonely shepherd, the littlest kid in the flock, the runt, and, you know, God had other plans. So what he's what he was doing then is preparation for what God has planned for him later on. And so here he is now as the king. And he's learned so many things. And he's been so human. And he's had so many spectacular failures, you know, that most people would go, all right, you're done. Out of here. Get out of here. But no, God has other plans. And so here he is, and he is, he's come through most of those things, my guess is, and it's through his failures, he's learned how faithful and how magnificent and how patient this omnipotent creator has been in his life. He knows he should have been rejected. He knows he should have spent the rest of his life guarding his father's sheep, and no one would have ever known of him. But God empowered him. And of course, you remember that little story where he, where he brought provisions to his brothers and they all mocked him and told him to get out of here. You're just here to make fun and you're just here, blah, blah, blah. But while he was here, he heard with them at the, at the front line, you know, he heard all the stuff from the, the giant. And, you know, he had this little encounter with Goliath that you might've heard of. And the king actually heard of it and Things turned around at that point and really got somebody else's attention besides his brothers. And so it isn't just because David's life was from beautiful to more beautiful to the most beautiful. It was a very circuitous route that he took before he came to the throne. And you'll remember when probably probably still as a teenager when Saul got jealous and decided David was a threat to his throne, and he better get rid of him. David, the estimate is David spent 17 years running, hiding from the king and the king's army. And even had an opportunity to take the king out because he found him. And he came across him, and he could have killed him right then and there, and he refused to do it because he'd learned so much from the Lord. So I will not touch the Lord's anointed. And so, so many things before he became king. And so in the first three verses here, as he kind of reviews the history of the people, and he, like he's victorious through his mighty power and, and his holy strength. Everyone knows how God has saved us. And I'm sure he's thinking, how oh, he saved me. Yeah. And he's displayed his justice throughout history. He never forgets to show us his love and faithfulness. David's not just writing empty words here. When he says God has shown his love and faithfulness, not just to us as a people, but David is thinking, oh, how many times has God shown his love and faithfulness to me? Mm-hmm. Like, I know of what I speak here. And so, and he's how kind he's been to Israel, you know, and David identifies with Israel, of course, 
And all the nations know how he stands behind his people and how he saves his own. And even as he's writing these words, however the words were in in, uh, ancient Hebrew that he's writing down, how God saves his own. David probably had a list of hundreds of ways he was saved. Yeah. From from the bear, from the lion, from from all, from Goliath, from his brothers, from just over and over and over again. And it, you know the the sweet little story. Don't you remember when Samuel the prophet came to anoint the next king of Israel, and all the brothers were paraded in front of Samuel, and God kept saying, "Nope, nope, nope." Even when Samuel said, "Wow, look at that guy. He really is handsome and tall, and really he must be the one." And God said, Mm-mm, "Keep moving." And they went through all of them, and he had to say, well, is there not another one? And Jesse, David's father, said, well, there's the runt. He's out looking after the sheep. And David says, we're not going to sit down until he's come. And so, you know, God loves to turn the tables upside down. He loves to, you know, do what nobody would think. And so he chooses David. And so here's this David who's been through so much and has almost died so many times and has been chased and he's been he's been accused of being a murderer. And he gathered a whole bunch of brigands around him as his as his ragtag army to help him in in all these years. And so he when he talks about God's love and faithfulness, I know who this is. And he could have taken me out so many times, but he is the one. And so the blanket number one there, the call for us to respond to majesty. God, God is a God of majesty, but he's also a God of intimacy, as I was mentioning in my, in my note here in a paragraph. He is both, and he could choose to be both. And when we think of someone who is powerful, someone who is well-known and maybe globally known or whatever, we don't usually think of them as as intimately involved. You know, they parade in in their robes and, and all of that kind of stuff, and they're a step above and whatever, but God can choose to come however he chooses. And so the call for us in Psalm 98, the first three verses, is the call for us to respond to God's majesty. And Obviously, we respond to other parts as well, his intimacy. But in Psalm 98, it's this majesty that that God would choose to let each of us still live mm-hmm. as we ponder the things that we've thought of and the things that we have done and the things we've said about God and the things we've said about other people, about me at least, maybe not anybody else watching. But, you know, that God would keep us here. That he wouldn't just, you know, zap us and say, okay, I'm done with this person. David knew that too. And so he's. this is a call for us to respond to God's majesty. And verses 4 through 6 is so incredible that we are called to sing. One scripture says, make a joyful noise. When people say, I can't sing, you know, it's like we're called to make a joyful noise, to respond to God's majesty. This is the call for music to respond to majesty. So it's appropriate not just to yes. remain silent, but it's appropriate to express it outwardly and express it in music. So, and I love the passion here in verse four is break out of the box and let loose with the most joyous music 
and bring the sound of your praise. Sound your melody of praise to the Lord and make music like never before. Blow those trumpets and shofars. And we don't do much with the way of trumpets and shofars in our day, but uh, that was certainly in the context. But it just refers to music. It just breaks them out. Do it. Make make noise. Make Use the music to, to bring an acknowledgement of God's majesty. It is a very powerful thing to, to join in worship. So the call for music to respond to majesty as we come in to continue to make our way through this year, 2023, using music. And we all have different relationships with music. And some of us need worship music, quiet, worshipful music. Some of us need more boisterous music. Uh, one of the guys in my home church in Canada loved mornings. He was he was the one who would spring out of bed wide awake and ready to take charge of the day. And so they had built their house with a whole house sound system. And one of the things he really enjoyed doing was getting up at six o'clock on a Saturday morning and he would put marching music on and turn the volume up so every room in the house blasted with march music. Let's just say the teenagers in the house were not impressed. Actually, his wife wasn't too impressed either. But yeah, you know, so some people have that kind of relationship with music and they love it and it's amazing. And then there are some people who listen to the quiet, intimate worship music and just sit in total silence with tears running down their cheeks. Yeah. It's all this, it's all worship, it's all a response to God's majesty, his power. And so I included that that song by Michael W. Smith again in our worship list. You know, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. Almighty and worthy is the Lamb, you know, and they're just saying that over and over and over again. And so, if that's not your style, you've probably thought, okay, already get over it. But you know, for some of us who really love that, we could just stay there forever. And uh, so, four to six, call for music. Let it. Let there be music. Let it. Let it out. Let it be a response to God's majesty. And then verses seven through nine. This is the call for nature to respond to God's majesty. Mm-hmm. Let the oceans wave. I, I mean, I love the, the use of this kind of imagery that David does. Let the oceans wave, join in the chorus with their roaring praise until everyone everywhere shouts out in unison, glory to the Lord. Let the rivers and streams clap with applause as the mountains rise in a standing ovation to the mighty choir of exaltation, as the mountain, when they, that phrase, as the mountains rise in a standing ovation, you know, I think of seeing the Alps for the first time, or the Rockies here in the United States, or the Canadian Rockies, the northern part, these jagged peaks that rise up, and you can just see that as, as an impression here, these mountains rising up like a standing ovation. I, I love that, that use of imagery there. Look, here he comes, the Lord and judge of all the earth. He's coming to make things right and to do it fair and square. And everyone will see that he does all things well. Nature responds to majesty. As, as Sue and I were watching these deer crossing the road this morning, it was just like, 
They're so beautiful. Yeah. They're so, you know, as they were jumping over the, the little guardrail and stuff onto the street and everything and crossing over and continue on their way down between two groups of houses. And, uh, you know, but nature, nature is responding to majesty. And, you know, in a few weeks, you know, we're going to have spring coming and we're going to see leaves appearing on on uh, on our trees we're going to see flowers coming up um you know some people are the bird watchers among us love to see birds appearing and the first robin of spring and and all of that or if you have a bunch of bird feeders keeping track of all of these tiny little critters that keep finding their way to your house and so people who love walking in walking in nature, walking in parks, woodlands, or whatever, they're always looking for for the animals, for the birds, whatever. And they're also beautiful, and they just keep keep appearing. And we may not be quite as excited with some of the other animals that appear, like the squirrels or whatever. But some people love squirrels too. I mean, someone has to love them, right? God created them, so, so we'll we'll leave that to others. But so we respond to majesty. Our call is still to respond to majesty. We're in a relationship with the king of the universe, the creator of the universe. And what is our relationship? We're, we are so small in comparison to him. And yet he comes to us individually. Scripture says our names are inscribed in his hand. That's a very intimate picture of this God of the universe who is the creator of all. Nothing was created without him, it says in John. And so we, we have this incredible majesty, this king, and yet the friend the closer, that is closer than a brother who gives his life for the other. So we, we have a call, and then music is called to respond to his majesty. And, and over the centuries, there has been so much music that has been majestic in itself, that has chosen to lift Christ higher. And, you know, it, it never ceases to amaze me, the ones that have never acknowledged the existence of God. And they're capable of writing this music that exalts him like, like nothing else. And it's amazing how... How can they do that? But I think it's part of God's sense of humor. He uses someone that won't even acknowledge him, but he says, but I've given you a gift of music and you will use it to glorify me. And uh, so over the centuries, there have been so many styles of worship, so many instruments used because there is a call for music to worship him. And then for nature, heaven and nature sing. You know, we sing at Christmas time. Heaven and nature sing. And so that is what we do. That is what we're called to do. And, and so as, as we ponder these different aspects of God's majesty and the incredible truth that the creator of all things comes to us individually, each of us in a very maybe different way, develops his relationship with us in a different way, expresses his patience with us, some of us for many years, some of us, we encounter him for the first time in our lives are turned upside down once and for all. And so there's no one way to do this. You know, Jesus 
comes to each one in whatever way they need, that's also, how compassionate is that? To speak to each one of us in the way that we need to hear this. That's his majesty. That's his sovereignty that allows him to do that for us, to come in. And then, you know, I think probably one of the greatest things that the majesty of God has done is to choose to send his only son for us. Like, he didn't need to do that, but he recognized that we needed someone that we could relate to on an intimate one-on-one basis. And he sent Jesus to be that expression. So there are so many things to learn from Jesus that we are going to look at in these next several weeks. But so for today, I just wanted us to focus in on the majesty of God and to just to ponder how has God's majesty shown himself, shown itself to us? How what's our relationship? What what are the ways that we respond to the majesty of God? So let me pray for us and then let's take some time. And then obviously we're going to leave some time for the Holy Spirit to speak to us as well. So let me pray. Father, thank you for these these powerful words of King David, these words of poetic praise to you, these these words that are, are so filled from his own life experience, what he's seen and heard and what he's lived, and this call that he puts out to us to respond to your majesty. You are the friend that sticks closer than a brother. But you are also the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You are also the one that John saw in his revelation. And so somehow all of those aspects of you are what you want us to understand and to respond to. So could our lives, could our days be filled with responding to your majesty? Could we look for the ways nature responds to your majesty? Could we pay attention to how our souls respond to the music that gives you praise? What is it about that music? What style is it? What happens in us when we listen to worship music? So thank you for these days of being able to look at who you are and the glory and the power and the majesty that is yours. Thank you for loving us in the way that you do. Yeah. And we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right.